So Pastor Steve is out, and so he asked me to speak. And uh, and usually I'm I kind of jump around and do things, subject studies, word studies, but I'm going to follow him and continue in Exodus. And uh, and he felt like the Lord says, you know, give give me Exodus. And Exodus 16 is a very good chapter. He told me I'm handing you some really good side of beef. <laughs> So I, you know, so I'm glad that he can trust me to rightly divide the word of God, and uh, so let's just go into Exodus 16 and continue. Jesus is our provision. Two things before that: um, you guys watch movies or TV shows. Which do you like? You like the movies or TV shows that only have one storyline? It's simple to follow, or you like those ones that have you know two or three or four different storylines, kind of like. I watch, the only TV show I watch is Blue Bloods because I like the ethics, I like the questions, you know, to deal with and how how a God would answer those kind of things. And Blue Bloods usually have three or even sometimes four storylines. They have their main one, then they have other storylines in there. So how many people like the single storylines? You do? How many people like the multiple storylines? Okay. I do. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm a multi-storyline minister. <laughs> I used to call myself a smorgasbord preacher. <laughs> that I have something for everybody, but you try to eat everything I have, you're going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and he's got something for you. But, um, but I am trying to get down to a single storyline, but it's not going to happen tonight. <laughs> I kind of do the multi-storyline, and, and the Bible has, a, has that too. In fact, there's a, the Bible has the, the main storyline is... Jesus Christ. I mean, from Genesis to the book of Revelation. He is the main storyline through and through and through. I mean, everywhere. And we're definitely going to show that. But there's also other things in there. There's, there is a thread or storyline of morals and ethics. And people, and you can take those morals and ethics and, and, and be a good person. But of course, if you don't grab the, the main narrative, then, you know, then all is lost. You, you know, you're not going to make it to heaven because the main storyline is about Jesus. Right. But a lot of people do make it about the good book. They make it about morals and values. And certainly we have that. But we've got to know that the Bible is not a book of morals and values. We're not saved because of our morality or we have greater values or ethics or I'm a better person today than I was yesterday. No good judge is going to let you off from murdering somebody 20 years ago because you haven't murdered anybody in 20 years. That's right. <laughs> and so we've got to understand that the main storyline is, is Jesus. And, and, and God hasn't just forgiven us, because that wouldn't be a righteous judge either, just to forgive us for something we did. He had to actually pay for it, pay the damage. You know, so a lot of times we teach moralism in the church. We teach about sin, and those things are needed, but it shouldn't be the main storyline. Because the sin problem has been taken care of. The sin problem has been rectified through Jesus Christ. He answered the penalty of sin for us. So for us to give the good news, we can't just, the good news is not tell anybody that they're just sinners and going to hell. That's not good news. The good news is that, is that Jesus paid the penalty of sin and that he's coming back. So go ahead and repent for the kingdom of God is coming. I always give people the good news. That's how Jesus sent them out, right? He sent all his disciples two by two out. It says, go to the first house that you come to and, you know, and greet them. If it comes back and stay with them. And so I go out there telling them about the good news. But the thing is about the good news is subjective. 
Not everybody says, well, I don't think that's good news. Well, then let me help you get objective here. Let me tell you the bad news. Because <laughs> you're going to think this is good news then after I tell you the bad news. <laughs> but that's the way we're supposed to give the gospel. And also there's a thread throughout Scripture, too, about success and principles. And a lot of people have taken success and principles. They've taken that thread, and they've taken the benefit of the kingdom of God, and they use them for their own glory, for their own purposes, rather than build up the kingdom of God. And God has allowed that, but they're going to be have a rude awakening if they don't repent and receive Christ. But nevertheless, the Bible does have successful principles that we indeed need to apply. And so tonight... I'm going to go show you Jesus here, but also some principles of, of, of prosperity that Jesus paid for himself as well. So let's start in Exodus 16. See here. It says, and they journeyed in uh, from, this is something Pastor Steve's really good. He's really good at pronouncing words I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai in the 15, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So this is, you know, the second month, 15th day of the second month. So we're, they're six weeks in, six weeks out from Egypt because God started a new calendar at that point. It says, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in, in the wilderness. So it didn't take them long to start complaining. You know, they're getting beat, getting whooped. I guess they just... That's our, our memory is so short-term. <laughs> we just forget where we come from so quick and start complaining. I mean, even today, I mean, i got to watch out for the weather. Oh, why is it so hot? Why is it so hot? Well, Jeff, weren't you just complaining yesterday it was too cold? <laughs> too rainy? Too windy? <laughs> so we got to be careful on that. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly of hunger. Now, that's just a strange death wish. I mean, if you're really suicidal and wish you were dead, why would you bring up the pots of meat and things you enjoy? <laughs> well, and they were slaves. Would they have even had that much? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, so all that they had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. And, you know, so they're talking, we would have died there too, and it would have been better to die there than here. Been better to die in, well, they can't call it comfort because they didn't have comfort. I mean, that's right. they worked seven days a week, providing their own straw, 12 hours a day probably. You know, and so, so some of their arguments doesn't make sense. But when you're emotional, that's right. it just, emotional logic just don't always go together. <laughs> So, um, so, so what are they saying? That the world offers an easier life than God? Is that what they're saying? Maybe. Is that what we say when we start complaining? You know, as God leads us out? God has let, led us out of religion. God has led us out of all kinds of things too. There's, there's nothing that happened. I mean, these, these people, we haven't evolved. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen, you know, to education saying that we, we are evolving. We are no different from those people. We haven't evolved a bit. <laughs> we are exactly like them with the same desires for comfort and the same dislike for discomfort. So the world offers an easier life than God. Is that they're saying? I don't know, maybe. Following God costs too much. I've heard that. 
and and the, and the whole thread of this, you know, Jesus coming through is for us to surrender. You know, for most of us, you know, most people that cost too much. Um, God is out to kill us no matter where we live. No, he's not. He's not the killer. But a lot of people believe that, you know, in the world and they, you know, the acts of God, you know, build insurance, the acts of God, God has done this to us. Or, or even in the church, you know, or these people, God has led us out here to kill us. And there's a lot of Christians, you know, would believe that if they got saved. Because they haven't been taught that God is all good. But God is a good father, so he does cause us to grow up. And anything that we don't want to do, God, why are you killing us? Maybe the first time you spanked your child, did your child think you're killing him? (laughs) Your child? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But that's just a childish mindset. And that's what's going on right here. They're, They're children. Children in adult bodies. And so... God is worse than Pharaoh. That's what some people would think. Your Christian life is just too much. God wants too much. When they don't understand that what little you, you, know, you give God, he multiplies it back. Where Pharaoh takes it, the, Pharaoh does the opposite. <laughs> so no one can, so let's find out here about, uh, about these things. Let's go to the New Testament because the whole book of the, of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament is for us. So let's read about this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Is that kind of what's going on with you know, these Israelites? They're kind of weighing, who do we, who do we want our, to be master? Do we, Pharaoh, who they did despise, but now they're despising the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because they're trying to serve, be in both worlds, two different worlds? And he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. That's exactly what's going on. You cannot, and I think Jesus maybe even said that, thinking of this situation right here in, in Exodus. You cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, what are those Israelites, you know, in the desert worried about? Their life. They're talking about food, right? They're, they're saying we had all this, we had enough food. We knew where our food was coming. We had food stamps. So we knew, you know, twice a month, 15th and 30th, we're going to get food stamps. But out here, yeah, yeah, out here, we don't know. <laughs> Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's got to be. If all you're doing is surviving, that's what animals do, right? All they're doing is, is surviving another day. Well, God didn't make us like an animal. If we're trying to live by, you know, survive, then we're acting like animals. But he's caused us to thrive and to move forward. So what do you eat or drink? You know about your body, what you put on. is like life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? We can't. So I'm I really tall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people want to be real tall there, you know. Yeah. So, so, so I don't know if Jesus had, had just read, you know, 
you know, this Exodus passage and was in the going, hey, I'm the same place as I am that Moses leading out these disciples into the promised land and they're having the same problems as Moses had. Exodus 16 and it continues, says, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall Prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. So God is gonna, so God's has to prove himself. He has to prove that he's, be, he's better than all the leaders that they've had before, that he's not a pharaoh, that he's not, you know, new, you know, you know I think there was a song back in the 70s, Old Boss is a New Boss or something like that. <laughs> Same old thing, and and so God has to prove Himself that He's not going to treat Him the same way. So how do you know when the Lord has brought you out? Because apparently they didn't see any difference at that point. Now they have the same problem as Moses did. Pastor Steve kind of pointed that out. Moses was talking to God, and God was talking to Moses, and Moses says, "Well, nothing's changed since I've been talking to you." So so here we go, repeating again the same thing. Nothing changes. So if any of us think that we're better than somebody else, no, we're, we're the same flesh and blood. There is no temptation in common to man. There shouldn't be anything that we look at people out there thinking, how could they? Because I could never. Don't ever say that. <laughs> because if your circumstances were changed and were different and we're just like them, would you have made a different decision? Well, we don't know. But there is no temptation in common to man. So how do you know when the Lord has brought you out? In the morning you should see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints. So the Lord hears our complaints against the Lord. But, but what are we that you complain against us? So Moses is going, okay, you got to I mean, complain against God, but why are you complaining against us? We're just like you. Why are you complaining about us? What can we do about it? I mean, we're not God. We're the same flesh and blood as you guys. We have no power in and of ourselves. We can't just make things happen. So why are you getting mad at us? We are flesh and blood as you. We are not gods. So be careful who you blame for lack. Because there's nothing new under the sun. We've got to be careful that we don't blame the churches. A lot of people jump from church to church and they blame, well, there's no bread in that house anymore. That pastor was leading me and great, and, and then we don't know what happened, so I'm leaving to another church. Remember when this one pastor spoke something to me, and, it was, and it's, it's a good word, and he says, and he goes, if the Lord told you to come to this church, is it the same voice telling you to leave? And I think that's really good advice, because a lot of people are going to stop right there, because anyway... You know, the Lord's always going to lead you from place to place with joy, not bitterness or anger or anything else. And so so that's really good. He's, you know, he's talked to people and people have had to either harden their heart. I'm leaving because I don't care. Or they get melt. You know, they melt and go, no, different voice. (laughs) So so be careful who you blame for lack, even our government. Now, this government, Moses, is not the same as, you know, as our government. But we still need to watch out who we complain because, like a question I ask, you know, God, you know, you know, exalts and, and humbles the leaders. 
doesn't that also help? You know, same thing here in a you know constitutional republic, or some people call it a democracy. Has, has God not have any control? Who's going to be president here? Well, Scripture says He's the one that exalts and humbles. And I can go into that on how He does that, but that's not my message tonight. But we got to be careful, even even where we throw in you know accusations, you know, in our own nation. And Moses said, "There shall be uh, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you uh, meat to eat in the evening, in the morning bread to you full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him." So the Lord's hearing it, but these are just kids, right? So God is keeping His cool. He's not getting angry. He knows these are babies that need pacifiers. So he understands. He's not getting mad at them, you know. And so he's ready. He's, and he was ready to hear their complaints. Because we have a God who hears our complaints. We have a Supreme Court that decides which complaints they're going to hear and what they're not going to hear. And obviously there's a reason of that because they can't hear all of them. But God will listen to every complaint you have. And you're okay as long as your complaint is legitimate. (laughs) But if you start going to God with illegitimate complaints and you want judgment upon your church, you want judgment upon your nation, you want judgment for other reason, you better watch out. Because if you're not legitimate, judgment's coming to you because God cannot judge somebody else without first judging his church. So, Lord, here's your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? So Moses, once again, is going, why are you making complaints against us? We don't have anything about this. You know, and if you want to have uh, maybe Paul Harvey, what's, you know, we, more to the stories, well, I didn't want this job anyway. <laughs> I was fine back of those <laughs> those sheeps, you know, and my wife's a poor and my two sons. I didn't want to come this way. Even. <laughs> and later on, you kind of see him kind of saying something like that. Not in this chapter, but later on in Exodus. So your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And that's one thing we, we need to know. You need to know as parents, as grandparents, as leaders in the church, that when people start complaining, Most of the time, it's not really against you because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. (laughs) It's against the Lord. I like how Pastor Steve says, you know, some people come in here, they feel like their life has changed and and this is such a breath of fresh air. And then he says like six, seven weeks later, this is about six weeks for them too. They come in, they also have all this list of changes they want to make. What happened? (laughs) So we need to watch out. So your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So who is your source? I go to serve, you know, and not to be served, although I know I will be served. But my purpose and every purpose of, of a Christian is to go to serve and not, and not to look what I can get at it for myself. We don't live in a kingdom where you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That is not a scripture. That is not the kingdom of God. We go to serve knowing that the Lord will give, give to us back. But the pressure is not on you guys. So you make a guess and what are your complaints against the Lord? And so who is your source? Is the church your source? There's a day coming that, you know, possibly coming, you know, big fight over 501c3. It's been happening for a while. And as more people get hit with, you know, taxes, I'm just just wondering how much of the state's going to tell these people, you better go get your tithe back from that church because you're giving 10% of your income that's crazy. We're not going to give you bankruptcy until you go get your money back. Wow. And so I wonder how many people are going to be willing to do that. 
or saying, look, I've given this church, I've built this church and all this kind of stuff, and now I'm in trouble, so you need to give me so much X amount of money. No, we got to let them. Did you give this unto the Lord or did you give this unto men? Right. This is why we got to be strong leaders. Exactly. And so we need to be careful on that. Careful on an idea. One, um, the, this church is, is not my Lord, and I am not anybody's Lord. I've done a lot of you know street ministry and, and help you know soup kitchens and food banks and clothing you know stores and that kind of stuff. And we we had this clothing store where people could just fill up a bag for three dollars, you know, to help fund the ministry. Well, two homeless people come in and they you know fill up the bags and then they, they just walk out. So I take up after them. You know, and I, and I said, what are you guys doing? You're stealing from us. Well, we're homeless. I said, well, is that a badge or something? Because you never asked for this stuff. Yeah, but we're homeless. I said, but you stole it. You didn't ask for us. And I said, you know, am, am I your provider? Am I your God? And of course, they cursed at that time. You're not our God. I said, then why are you trying to make me your provider? And of course, they dropped the clothes because, you know, because, you know, the conviction came upon them. But it's really easy to, to move our loyalty and to, and to move the, the, our source off Jesus and onto one another. And that includes the government, that includes the church, that includes, you know, your spouse <laughs> or anybody around you, your neighbors. How come my neighbor has so much? That's not fair. Government. Now, all these things have a place. God is going to hold every bit of this, every single person accountable for what they've done with their resources. But we should never put, never look at some another person's resources and say, we deserve that. Anytime you look at somebody and says, well, I've never, I would have never used that money to buy that house. I would never use that money no, go that, and go to that place. You're coveting is what you're doing. That's not your money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not your money to decide what to do. So you're, you're crossing that line and coveting when you start doing that kind of stuff. And Moses spoke to Aaron, say to the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. So, so God is saying, come on, come here. I want to hear your complaints, kids. I'm not going to throw you off. Some people want to look at kids and say, ah, they don't need anything to say. And the same thing happens to older people because I've taken care of several older people and, and visit some in you know, rest homes and, they have complaints, and it's really hard to get the staff there to listen. Well, that they're just, oh, they're just coming, you know. No, you need to listen to their complaints to find out if they're legitimate or not. But anyway, but God is willing to listen to our complaints. And he's willing to listen to the whole congregation. You know, there's some things about Scripture I don't completely understand. I mean, God knows all things. He's omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere. But during... Uh, you know, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, he comes down to find out that the complaints are true. said, I can't really put that in a theological thing because God already knew. So why did he have to come down and see it for himself? Not quite sure. But, but, but the point is that he takes our complaints serious. That he's willing, willing to do that. And so, so we need to know that when we, when we got a complaint or when we're feeling, instead of taking it to our neighbor or taking it to our family, maybe we need to take it to the Lord because he is willing to listen. He will willing to answer. But we also must be willing to be 
rebuked if needed. <laughs> so. God will hear our complaints. He will then weigh them to see if there is a case. Authority is not above the law. So sometimes you do have a complaint that's legitimate, you know, in any type of authority. I'm not going to go deep into that. But we, we, we best make sure who is our Lord before complaining. Because when we go to, you know, go to the Lord and say, well, so-and-so is not doing enough for me. So-and-so is not doing that. And God's going to say, well, who's your provider? You know? So, um, go on, it says, Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So, court is in session. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. So this is the third time he said that. Speak to them, saying, At twilight ye shall eat meat. So he's already heard the case. He finds it legitimate. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now later on in Exodus, we'll find out they tried the same complaint, and it doesn't turn out the same. <laughs> so, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he's still trying to prove to these children that he is their father, he is their God, that he does care for them, that he's not in this like Pharaoh is for his own, for his own purposes. God has established that he is nothing like Pharaoh, that in the beginning there is a pacifier, and that's what he's doing. He's giving him a pacifier. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay all around the camp. So he gave him meat and something getting ready to come into. And when the layer of dew lifted, there were on the surface of the wilderness was a small brown substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what what it was, and that's exactly what the definition is: manna. What is it? Mm -hmm. Nobody still knows. <laughs> and Moses said to them, "This is the bread which the Lord has given you to you know to eat." God provides more opportunity to us uh, opportunities to us than we know. But when we see an opportunity, what is it? <laughs> What is it? What am I supposed to do then? I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, part of us, him wiping our, our tears away is that, that he answered so many of our prayers. We just asked, what is it? We missed it because we said, what is it? We don't like it or understand it, so we move on. Because <laughs> God is not a, a neglectful father. And too many people see, see him as causing us to suffer, to grow up, to be strong, be a man. And that's just not the God's, God's spirit. This is the thing that which the Lord has commanded, that every man gathered according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons that every man take for those who are in his tent. So this is kind of the, you know, the minor threat I have here. I've talked about in economics and finances. So is God a socialist? Some people would try to take the scripture here saying he is. I mean, each person is just supposed to get what they need and that's it. Everybody's supposed to get the same. Every man take for those who are in his house. Some people will try to use this. And we are fighting socialism in this country. So we need to know their arguments. But let's read Matthew, Matthew 25. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared before you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you looked me 
and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. And they're going, well, that kind of seems like more socialist. This, you know, yeah, I do, I do do trick questions here, so don't be too concerned. <laughs> and he goes on, and this king, king will answer him and say, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did to the one, least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And a lot of socialists, you know, I guess you can call them socialist Christians, I don't know. But they're trying to use it and use that as, as bringing socialism into the church. And the children did so and gathered some more and some less. Whoops. I guess that blows the socialists out of the water, right? Some more and some less, because socialism says everybody gets the same. So is God a capitalist? And so read the parable of the talents and minus. You know, he gives each person a different amount. Some, you know, one he gave five, another one he gave two, another gave one. So that's not socialism. Some people say that's capitalism and why it sounds like it. The minus he gave everybody the same. Everybody got one mina. One person took one mina, made ten minas. One person for one mina, uh, five minas. Another one hid their mina. And so, so is God a capitalist? So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had to gather according to his own needs. So this is kind of puncturing holes through God as a capitalist too. So they measured the omers who gathered much had nothing left over. And we have a whole lot of capitalists who have a lot left over. And this, this, is, and this is just a thread. You're going to have to hear my whole teaching to really understand this kind of stuff. And he who gathered had little, had no lack. Every man had gathered according to one's uh, need. So God doesn't seem to be a socialist, and God doesn't seem to be a capitalist. Let's read Luke 12, 16 through 21. Then he spoke a parable of him, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yield plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store up my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, that I will store up my crops for my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you and than those whose things by which you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. So God is neither socialist nor a capitalist, as we call it. And one of my teachings is the devil always gives you two choices, and he gives you two choices. They're both wrong. And our nation is being torn apart by these two choices, socialism or capitalism. Both of them will take you down. I mean, that's, that's why we're having problems with, you know, with all these companies going woke. You know, and of course, the only one I can think of right now is Budweiser. I don't think anybody's buying from them anyway. And I certainly, I don't drink. But anyway, they don't have any fear because they, you know, they're going to make it. I mean, the only market America has is 330-some million people. China saying, you follow us, we'll give you $1.2 India say, you follow us, we'll give you $1.4 billion. So, so capitalism, so capitalism, which is what we have been done, has raised up so many businesses, they don't need us anymore. They have laid up a whole lot of stuff for them and their families, but the rest of us, they don't care. And so we can't jump on this board because Satan is destroying this nation through socialism and capitalism, through Republicans and Democrats. We've got to know that God is neither of those things, that we need to get in his, you know, in his lane. <laughs> This kind of corresponds in, in 
16th chapter with the prayer that Jesus taught our Father which are in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we don't have another tomorrow. Right. And that's daily stuff. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, and I guess I'll tell Pastor Steve, well, you know, said, uh, Yvonne did it, did it to me. She took my thunder. Because <laughs> that's, you know, that's in this, you know, in this teaching. But, but I'm glad you're, but yeah, but I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're talking about that. I mean, because there's a lot of principles in, in, in Scripture. Like I, I say, you know, Jesus had to, had to deal with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. We have to deal with the Democrats, Republicans, and the news media. The same thing as he did. Now, there were times that Jesus had to join his side, and there were times that, you know, Paul had to join his side. It was usually, the, you know, the, the Pharisees. But they weren't in league with them. And so I haven't been a Republican for a long time, but they're still the best party out there. And so many times I not go inside, but they were corrupt as well. And so, so I, so I choose to be with the Lord. I'll try to line up where I can, but if you're going against God, I'm not lining up with you guys at all. Yeah, I'd rather have the whole house fall than than be part of a rebellion against God. <laughs> and so, there is a lot of things in capitalism in Scripture, but God has a reset. And some of this reset we're going worldwide is not only the devil has a reset, but God has a reset too. It's called the Jubilee to make sure that the capitalists didn't keep getting richer and the people lost everything, which is what we're, is what this nation is facing. Because we didn't have a reset. We didn't have a, a limit where how much you can make. And I can go much deeper into this. And it's not, I'm saying you can only make so many billions. It's not that. Because laws don't work like that. It's the people that got to be renewed. It's the people who've got to say, I'm not going to build bigger barns. I'm going to, I'm going to give higher wages. I'm going to give. I'm going to help people. So that's just another you know, thread we're taking through here. Exodus. And Moses said, let no, one, uh, let no one leave any of it till morning. So this kind of goes along with what Yvonne said, that uh, we're given daily bread. And manna was daily. It didn't last the next day. Yeah. And so if we're looking to this world that we're trying to build up our riches, we're trying to build up our storehouses because we want to go another month and outlast. When I moved out here, people going, Jeff, are you moving out there so you can survive the, the zombie apocalypse that's coming? I'm going, really? I got a better place to go when I die than try to survive a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> no, I'm going to go first. <laughs> like I was saying earlier, it says, you know, in the Old Testament, when a high priest went into the holies of holies to, you know, to, to pour out the blood on the altar. There was a rope tied to him in case he did the wrong thing. He died, he pulled him out. Well, I'm in the new covenant, but I have a rope tied to me too because I'm getting ready to head out of here. <laughs> and if you guys just grab that rope, let's go together. <laughs> I said, let no one leave until uh, morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them um, left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. So saving for a rainy day plus inflation stinks, stank, stunk. If you really know want to talk about money and you know and, and uh, I know Jimmy's talked about it, so Jimmy really knows how to invest rather than save, because saving is never uh, good security towards a future investment is, and God is very much involved in investment. So investing in others and not worrying about tomorrow is God's way. 
So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun um, became hot, it melted. Or it could say when, the, when it became bullish, <laughs> our economics. So. And so they gathered every morning, every man according to his need, and the sun became and melted. In excess we hold for ourselves will be, will be depleted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers uh, for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So one day a week, they, they could double their money. They could double their resources. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't change. He, he does, you know, present things different. So we don't do the Sabbath in the same way they do the Old, Old Testament. And I know some Christians really have a problem with me saying that. There are seasons as well. There was a Sabbath year. And so there is a time to save up for things that are coming. There is a time to be like Joseph and save up. There are things like that. But I'm not, this is not a message that's fully explained prosperity of the kingdom of God and things like that. I'm just kind of doing threads of Jesus and principles of prosperity. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is Sabbath a rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Israel got into trouble for not uh, learning to rest and to take a day off. That's why they kept trying to gather seven days. And and there needs there are several things that we need to do as Christians. Also, Jesus is our rest, so learn to rest while working. Because that's where you know that's where the argument I have with all these Sabbath keepers that that literally want to take a day off, and I can show them in Scripture they're not doing it right anyway, but they won't listen. <laughs> but but we have something better than one day of rest. We have Jesus. We're supposed to enter His rest. So I tell people if they can't take a day off, then they're probably not entering the rest of Jesus. But the ultimate goal is to be able to work and rest. Because it's, the Lord says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yeah. So they laid, up, uh, laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and did not stink, uh, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. So, so don't waste another day trying to provide for yourself, because God will just let you keep on looking. If he's not in it, if he didn't plan it, he's flexed it up. He's the author and finisher of faith, so if he doesn't author it, forget it. He's not going to finish it. Peter lost a whole night fishing on the wrong side of the boat. That always gets me. He's fishing, and he didn't catch anything, and the Lord says, well, throw it on the other side of the boat. Really? How big of a boat is this? I mean, is the fish only on this side, not this side? No, it was a suture. It was, it was a miracle, really, it was, because there wasn't fish on either side. But I just think it was funny it's, Sometimes we can be fishing on the wrong side of the boat and we just go four feet over here and we have plenty of fish. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't. But I think this was, you know, God holding things back. So Peter lost a whole night fishing on the wrong wrong side. And how many, how many nights do we waste worrying about finances, worrying about problems? A lot. It's good. We should be none. Should be none. That's the goal, and be none. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, um, there will be none. So six days a week we are doing, and one day a week we are being human doings and human beings reset. 
I know there's some people that are lazy and there's some people who are workaholics. And of course, once again, Satan wants to make you one or the other. I can tend to be a workaholic, so I have to learn how to rest. And I tell other people, you know, God's giving you six days a week to work, <laughs> you know, to the lazy. But one day a week, we are to be being. But, but we need to learn how to do those things. And, and I teach on Samson and Delilah and, and their issues to people. And there's one reason, one reason that people get caught up with those issues because they need to reset. They're so full of anxiety. They're so full of things that they need, they need a release. And so they need to reset. And that's why God gave the Sabbath, was to reset. That's why he's given Jesus to reset. So now, let's see here. Yeah. yeah, so so human doings and human beings, you know, and, and I guess my other note didn't pop up there. But one of the important things is, is we cannot have a relationship with God if we're just asking him for things and trying to get him to do things for us. We've got to learn that he is a being too, that he's just not a taskmaster, that he's just not handing us the jobs to do, that he's not saying, if you do these things, I'm going to bless you type of thing. But we need, I need to understand, we need to come to him just because he is. That we're not trying to scratch his back so he'll scratch ours. There needs to be some time that he needs to know, of course, he knows everything, that we need to know, God, I just want to be in your presence. I'm not coming to you with any problems. You could solve any of them. I'm not coming to you for any questions or answers. I just want to be in your presence. I, King David, I just want to be the person to open your door so I can see where you come. I just want to be with you. And Paul says, I just want to know the, the power of the resurrected dead and, and even the fellowship of suffering. I want to be with you. Whatever, God, whatever hurts you, I want it to hurt me. Whatever you have joy, I want that same joy. So the Christian life is not like other religions where you're just full of work trying to accomplish and trying to build, 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 build. But it's about being with God and being with one another. So now it happened that same, um, that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none because oh, they were they were human doings, not human beings, and they were made that way by Pharaoh. They had to to survive. And nowadays it's not Pharaoh. Nowadays it's Mastercard, Visa, mortgage. <laughs> You know, and the Lord said to Moses, "How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws?" So the Lord's getting a little, little upset now. So, do you enjoy God's presence, His being? Oh, there's my notes there, <laughs> or only His presence and principles? Sometimes we just need to go go to God just because we want to be in His presence, not look for principles, not look for answers. There's plenty, there's, there's plenty of them in there. There's, like I said, you, know, you can use the Bible. For, there's, there's threads in there. There's, there's multiple storylines in the Bible. But the main one needs to be the main one, which is Jesus crucified. Jesus came to save the world, but he loves us. So we need to keep that first and foremost. But people can use the word of God for principles and use it. In fact, when the, I think it was the story of Mina is that he gave, he gave everybody a single Mina as he was going to be crowned, as he going off to be crowned king. And on his way to go be crowned king, seven of them came after him and says, we don't want you as our king or as our Lord. There are people that want the principles of the kingdom of God, but don't want God. And we got to be careful that we don't join that crowd. 
So we're human beings, not just human doings, although we do do things when God gives us the power to do those things. So seal for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So enjoy the fruit of your labor and the fruit of your womb. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to be. That's what he was trying to teach them back then. But under the new covenant, we need to be enjoying our labor all the time. Even Ecclesiastes says, there's, this is, you know, he has a lot of things to complain, but he says, man, if God gives you a job that you enjoy doing, that is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. But if you start wondering, you know, where your fruit is going to go after this, you're going to get depressed. If you're going to start wondering if people really value you in your job, you're going to, go, going to get depressed. So just thank God that you have a job to do every day that you enjoy doing. So enjoy the fruit of your labor and the fruit of your womb. Don't use this time to compare, complain, or desire what God has given someone else. That's what happens a lot of times when people take their day off. Instead of enjoying what God has given them, they're looking over somebody else's lawn and says, I wish I had that. Looking on Facebook, I wish I could go on vacation. You know, I wish I had that boat to go to the lake. And they're comparing themselves. And, and what they start doing is they start reducing what God has done in their life lower and lower and lower to the point they no longer value it. They're not giving thanks to God anymore because, after all, this person has more. So we need to take time with thanksgiving. And in the Old Testament, God gave you, had to tell them, give them a whole day. I mean, they were slaves. Well, and I would say here in America, we have a lot of slaves as well. Like I said, MasterCard, Visa, the Joneses, not you Joneses, but <laughs> well, I'm talking about uh, it'll, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, let them keep up with you and value what you value, right? <laughs> so the people rested on the seventh day. A day to rest, so they don't return to Egypt, working seven days a week and provide their own straw, which is what, people, what's, what happens all the time. God sets them free and they go right back into debt. And the house of Israel called, his name, uh, called its name manna, and it was like white corner seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made of honey. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, fill an omer with it and uh, to be kept for your generations, that they may see um, the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So John 6, uh, 48, this is in direct correlation to what we just read. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Blood statement. They're dead. (laughs) So your job is going to end someday. Your ability to make income is going to end someday. So you better start eating something that's not going to end. This is the bread which comes down from heaven and the one who may eat of it uh, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the, for the life of the world. So Jesus is that manna. He is the bread of life. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. So that's interesting why, why he would do that. But lay up a legacy for your children and grandchildren. It tells us in the Proverbs to your children's children. Uh, but not the whole inheritance and ruin them. Because they've got to learn to work hard. There is not too many generations where the second generation does better than the first generation when it comes to um, economics. Because you, it's usually the first generation that learns 
the cost of hard work and pushing through. The second generation has it a bit easier, and then the third generation just doesn't care. And then the fourth generation, well, I mean that kind of, that, ha- that happened with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Joseph. Because remember, you know, Abraham's getting you know was coming to his end, and Isaac hadn't been married yet. And, and Pastor Steve brought this out, and it said Abraham said, you know, said, do not, do not have Isaac go back. Right. Said, don't do that. Yeah. Bring a, bring a wife, you know, for him here. He does that, but the next generation loses that. And Jacob goes back, <laughs> and he and and then when he comes back, he brings back everything that Abraham got rid of, <laughs> even more problems. And so God, the fourth generation, God says, "I got to get Joseph out of here because they've already messed up the promised land. <laughs> so I better get Joseph out of here if I'm going to save this race to have my son born." And so, I'm not saying that you know that was a. God's perfect plan with that kind of stuff. But anyway, he had to get Joseph away from Jacob and all his brothers because they had diluted things. And so so when you're laying up for your children, don't, don't lay up your whole inheritance for them and corrupt them. They're going to have to learn how to work hard just like you did. They're going to have to learn how to trust God just like you did. They're going to have to learn how to walk by faith like you did. And they're going to have to suffer hunger. I mean, God tells, you know, he, he led them to suffer hunger. He wasn't starving them. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to the inhabited land, inhabited land, which I'm not quite sure what that is. And they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of, of Canaan. So how long are we going to eat manna? Anybody have an answer for that one? It's not, it's not a trick. Jesus comes back. <laughs> That's right. It's not, this one's not a trick question. <laughs> and here's a scripture. Here's the last scripture. It says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are no different from Israel. We also have manna daily. And if we try to save up and live off what God has done for us today off our relationship, what we've had him for him today off our Bible study of today after our prayer today and try to do that and try to go tomorrow without that Bible study, without prayer, without spending time with God, it's going to hurt. And there's a thing about hunger. It's real interesting. Um, about, about if you go on a fast, I know a physical fast, and not eat some food, you, you know, you get you get really more and more hungry. And there's, of course, there's a point that you can get to it where you, where you lose that hunger. But I'm just talking about a day or two. If you go a day or two without reading the Bible, you lose your hunger. The, the less you spend in the Bible, the less hunger you have for his word. The more you spend in his word, the more hunger you have for it. That's why Wednesday I'm almost into the clouds because after, you know, our study and coming here is like, <laughs> let's go. So in this matter, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, not Pharaoh, not somebody here on earth. Your name is holy. Hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, not Egypt. Your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now everybody here is old enough to know what a continental breakfast is. 
now they have full scale, you know, lunches, brunches or whatever out there. But so many people spend time with God like a continental breakfast. They just run out the door. And we need to pray unceasingly. It means we always need to be praying to him. But we do need to set a time that, that he is our sole and only focus. Because that's the only way we're going to get our daily bread. We have to sit at the table with him. Because if we're always doing things on the run, we're just not going to get our daily bread. We're trying to live off yesterday's bread. And the scripture talks about what happens to yesterday's manna. It's nasty. <laughs> it's nasty. It doesn't work the same. It's like healing. God, you made God heal one way. The next time, you may need to get healed in a different way. Yep. I mean, it's God's healing. He may instruct you in a different way. It's true. That's true. So give us this day our daily bread. So, Jimmy, uh, we started three minutes late, and we're ending three minutes late, so <laughs> we're good to go. <laughs> So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are the manna from heaven, Lord, that you are offering us all that you are, Lord. You laid down your life perfectly, and, and you're not willing to hold anything back from us when we come to your table to eat, Father. So remind us, remind us, Lord, that we're no different from any man that's ever lived in this world, Lord, that we can't make it on our own, that there's no institution, no church, no government, no neighbor, no family that can give us and fill us, you know, until that we're full that we remain hungry, Lord, unless we come to your table and eat and get our daily bread every day, Father. This doesn't, you know. So, Lord, help us, Father, to see that. Burn that in us, Lord, that we just can't make it, Father, without you. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And, Lord, we thank you for your long-suffering and mercy to, as we go through this wilderness, as, as we go through this life trying to figure things out, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.